0: welcome to another episode of the game design podcast once again my name is brad carney and i'm the founder of final boss entertainment who recently developed rack we're also working on a new rack game but can't really go into details on that right now but hopefully we can talk about that sometime soon So, today we're talking about arena shooters. I think when most people hear the term, they think of games like Quake 3, and Unreal Tournament, and other games that destroyed my high school and college career. Basically, they're player versus player first person shooters that don't have the players choose any sort of pre-match perks or weapons or characters, at least characters that are anything more than a skin. It said you get your weapons and power-ups and armor by exploring and mastering the level you're playing on. And these games used to be incredibly popular. When the internet first started to come into its own, games like the original Quake and the first Unreal Tournament were hugely successful. On top of being played by thousands, if not millions of people, modding also kept the scene fresh and fun. One of the earliest mods for Quake added Capture the Flag along with a grappling hook, Yes, a grappling hook. You could zip all around the maps like you were Batman. It was a blast. However, the popularity of the genre did not continue. The rise of games like Call of Duty, that have people pick loadouts prior to the battle, have largely replaced arena shooters. And one of the things we'll be talking about later in the episode is why that is. That's a tease, folks. Stick around. Now, though, we're seeing a bit of a resurgence of these games. Toxic has enjoyed some early success, and other arenas like Wrecked, or is it hashtag wrecked? I don't know, we'll find out soon, uh, are in development, and there's even a new Unreal Tournament being made. But is this merely an appeal to nostalgia, or are arena shooters fundamentally sound enough from a game design perspective to enjoy some degree of success? First off, I do think arena shooters have a lot going for them. For starters, these games are fundamentally fair. We talked in episode 5 of the podcast about the role of fairness in games, and basically talked about how for a hardcore competitive game, which by the way an arena shooter is, fairness is very important. While doing research for this episode, uh, a miracle I know, I came across an article by somebody going by Exterminat, where he makes the point that everyone basically comes into the arena fresh. There are no pre-game perks or weapons or pre-leveled up characters to worry about, you're both dropped into the arena with the same attributes and the same chance of gathering resources as everybody else. Aside from perhaps that initial spawn, it's completely fair. If you are the better player, you will more often than not win. What about balance? We've talked before on the podcast about how it's important for players to have meaningful choices to make. This is definitely something a lot of games have struggled to get right in the past. Whether it's overpowered weapons and power-ups, and even underpowered weapons and items nobody even bothers with. Looking at you, Quake 3 Grenade Launcher. I don't see any reason why these games can't be balanced, though. As long as there's a diversity of options the player has to pick from, and multiple viable strategies given any situation, balance should play a large role. Finally, especially when it comes to team-based arena shooters, people can learn valuable life skills from playing them. You'll learn to strategize, work as a team, stay calm under pressure, develop your technical skills, just to name a few. You'll also learn how to deal with cheaters, but eh, that's for another time. Point is, you get a lot out of these games, which, as we talked about in the first episode, is why we play games in the first place. I certainly wouldn't say arena shooters aren't without some major flaws. The biggest one, in my opinion, has to do with matches ending in landslides. Because most of the advantages you gain come from acquiring resources from the environment, what you often see are outcomes dictated by whoever gets to something first. For instance, in Quake 3, it's not uncommon to see a score of something like 15 to negative 3 between two players of equal skill. What oftentimes happens is that somebody gets to the Megasphere first, which basically doubles your health. So what happens then is that when the two players meet, assuming the players damage each other equally since they have equal skill, is that the player who got the Megasphere survives and the other player dies. While they're busy being dead and respawning trying to get back on their feet, the surviving player gets the chance to gather up even more health, weapons, and armor, and are then in a prime position to get the Megasphere again once it respawns. The cycle repeats and the player basically gets a permanent advantage until the end of the match. Are there solutions to this? There certainly are, and we might even discuss some of them coming up shortly. Another tease, folks. I'm getting pretty good at this podcast hosting thing. Pretty good. So coming up, I'll be talking with Alex Popa, also known as Jhar. Har. He's somebody with a long history with arena shooters. I, I know he's done a lot of commentary for it before, and he's also made his share of levels. He's also got a lot of thoughts on a variety of game design topics and other hot button issues, like paid mods. Oh yes, that whole thing. We'll get into all that and more, and I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. So, like, why don't you tell us a little bit about about who you are, and like, kind of, kind of, like your bio, uh, you know, kind of like what which, what your history is with a uh, arena shooters, which is kind of the, the main topic we're going
1: to be oh, talking geez, about. Oh, geez, let that. me let me consult my LinkedIn for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been uh, quaking and dooming for actually, here's my dirty secret: for a relatively short amount of time. It's um, it's been pretty long, hasn't it? Pretty pretty long now, but I've I seen. I, I forgot to As mention, but it's like movie. that's that's kind of how like
0: we know each other. Uh, yeah, yeah, like through through Doom, um, Doom and
1: Skulltag and yeah, all that yeah, fun stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, and we actually, we actually I mean, met at
0: QuakeCon. Like, what was it, two thousand nine? The first one.
1: Right, right, yeah. That was a huge surprise because I hadn't spoken to you in quite some time up until we ran into each other and I just saw your name tag. Right. I was like, yeah. Holy shit! Because like we like,
0: you yeah. know we didn't know what uh what each other looked like, so it's just kind of like, <laughs> hey, look, that's that's a name I know.
1: And I think I had pizza on me, so I think you were more than willing to find out who that weird fucker was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, yeah. Like pizza is
0: um, like the the most precious commodity. At, oh, it, like you walk around Qualcomm like with that.
1: a few boxes of pizza, you're everybody's friend. Yeah, exactly. Pro tip: if yeah. you're coming for the first time. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I came in relatively late. I mean, when I came in, it was like 2001 or two that I started really uh, considering myself a doomer. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be fair after that i kind of went through the series chronologically so i went through it the right way just um a little bit after the game yeah yeah but not not
0: everyone else but
1: i actually came in because up until then i was an avid console emulator because i was a poor kid Hmm. and so i I just pirated everything i could and one day i was playing the super nintendo version of doom and i was like this shit is too dark and there's no textures on the floor and i Went and got Doom 95. God, yeah, the, that was actually this, the first The Super Doom Nintendo port.
0: Doom, I, I feel so yeah. sorry for you.
1: It just wasn't doing it for me. Like, I wanted to enjoy the game, but it just wasn't working. So I got Doom 95. That was the first port, port I ever played Doom on, on the PC. And, uh, and yeah, that was it. Yeah. And I, I've always I, I, been... Go ahead. I've always been a huge fan of not just the game itself, but the, the people around it. That was sort of one of my first entries into, like, sort of an online community. Um, I had played, you know, X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter and Jedi Knight and things like that before, but um, Doom really just had that thriving uh, custom content community, and it was just so easy to get in and get involved and start fucking around and doing your own stuff. Yeah. The same thing applied to to Quake and Quake 3 and Doom 3 subsequently over the years.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the, the whole, like, community aspect, like, the whole modding aspect is, is one of the things that really made, like, arena shooters, I guess you could kind of put Doom in that category, too, like, definitely the, the multiplayer oh, absolutely. side of it. Um, it just really made those games, like, thrive and just be, like, just absolutely huge, like, in terms of, like, the general gaming culture, you know, like, back in the late 90s and early 2000s.
1: I think to a certain extent, they were a very large part of gaming culture. That, you know, the modding didn't just contribute to the success of the games, it contributed to the industry as a whole. Just because so many people who were level designers and modders, uh, that was their first step into getting into game development. And now all of the bigwigs and all of the AAAs, they all came from that background.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, that actually reminds me of something I wanted to get into. I I know you have a lot of thoughts on, you know, kind of this whole recent, uh, you know, kind of brouhaha we had over the whole paid mods (laughs) thing uh, with Valve. So, yeah, I I did want to, like, kind of pick your brain about that. Um, Do do you think that it's something where it's, like, it could have worked, like, if if Valve had handled it, like, a little bit better? You know, maybe they chose a different different, uh, company to do it. Or it's, like, people are just so used to free mods that, like, they're just going to reject it no
1: matter what. I think um, there's a good way to do it. Unfortunately, I don't think um, it's really in the capability of Valve right now. That the main thing that needs to be addressed before any of this stuff is going to work is uh, IP law and how we handle rights management online, and that's still you know a, a shitty proposition at best. Right. Um, as long as the DMCA is like the go-to tool for managing uh, IP conflicts, then A lot of the problems that Steam or Valve wants to deal with just aren't going to go away.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know one of the things that you mentioned is, like, one of the big things about, like, the whole modding scene. It's kind of like taking content from, like, other mods and, like, sticking oh, we still it in your Yeah, you know, it's everything. kind of like like a remix or something. You, know, like you made the point. It's like, that works, like, if everything's free. But, like, once money gets involved, like, that's, you just get into such a legal nightmare. I just...
1: think it's just intrinsically impossible to manage. Because I was looking at a screenshot of a new Doom 3, or uh, Quake 3 level the other day. And I recognized the floor texture as being like the tile floor from uh, from Blood, mm-hmm. and of course it had been modified and trilinear filtered, and the colors right, were different. Yeah, yeah. But it was like I know those pixels. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, after ten plus years, a lot of these assets have just been mutated in mm-hmm. a really sort of natural way, just from game to game to mod to mod to author to author, with little you know modifications along the way, until the point. Nobody knows where they came from or who they really belong to or, or what, but they're out there.
0: Yeah, I, I guess probably a, a fairly similar analog is kind of like a the music industry. You know, it's like artists will like sample little bits and pieces from like you know music that other people put out there, and you know it it kind of becomes a point of is it like is it
1: too similar? Is, is it, it even like, worth pursuing?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, and I I think the same kind of thing would happen with like game modding. It's like you wouldn't really get into like giant legal issues unless there was like a big mod, you know, like a, a big financially successful mod was like using content from other mods or games or that whatever.
1: would happen though and i think what we oh, saw sure. during that that week of chaos was the beginnings of that where people were uh taking mods off of nexus and then putting up on the workshop and claiming them as their own mm-hmm. and without any mechanisms to uh a kind of gatekeep that or b you know have some sort of due process if somebody makes a claim that hey this actually belongs to me right then there was just no way that was ever going to work yeah
0: and it's 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 one of those things where it's like it kind of feel like it got killed off like before it kind of had a chance to kind of get started and kind of like feel things out and Sorry, that's, for like valve to Val's kind of fault. like put things in place. <laughs> was that
1: valve's fault? Yeah, they, they really needed to, to think that through. I think one thing we need to look at moving forward is the way um epic is going to be handling the sort of the same thing because they said that they want to monetize mods for Unreal Tournament. And I think that they're likely going to pay a little bit more attention to what they're doing because it's their game, it's their platform, it's their technology. Um, there's, it's nobody else's backyard but their own, and so they have a real vested interest in making sure that it's, you know, it's done right. Mm. Especially with the power play that they're making right now, they kind of want to be, you know. They want Unreal Engine 4 experience to be at the top of everybody's resume. They want right. that to be like the most important thing in the industry. Right. And more power to them if they can manage to do that. But it also means that if they're going to start selling mods uh, for Unreal Tournament, which, by the way, is packaged with the Unreal Engine um, and vice versa... Yeah, Um, yeah, they're they're going to need to pay attention to how that's managed.
0: You know, I I I do feel like like Unreal and and Epic, like that, I I feel like that's a much better platform to kind of start this whole like paid mods thing on. Like for (laughs) one, like like there isn't like a history of like free, like it's a new game, so it's like they can kind of establish like, hey, in this new game, you know, you're going to be able to charge for mods, and it's not like. Because, I mean, the way it is right now, it's like, you know, mods are already free for, you know, games like Skyrim and everything. So it's like for them to, like, start charging, it's kind of like trying to put the genie back in the bottle. And, like, people just aren't going to go for that. But if you're starting with something new, like, I think it kind of gives you the chance to, you know, kind of establish, like, a new set of ground rules, like, for something that, you know, isn't out. And And I'm at least
1: interested in seeing what those ground rules look like. You bring up. Kind of a, a cool point about you know putting the genie back in the bottle. One of the reasons why modding has kind of been a weirder situation this past decade than previously has been the advent of DRM and you know yeah. uh, and free to play games. You know where where microtransactions and monetization of in game items are the game economy and it's it's a it's a valid way to go about doing things. There are several you know exemplary titles in that field, but it, it kind of um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I don't think I'm totally familiar. Oh, with things like League of Legends, where oh, okay, okay. you know the game itself is free, but right. you're buying things like cosmetic items or you know stat boosts or things of that mm-hmm. nature. Right. And because they're a multiplayer and B have those microtransactions involved, you really can't have modding be part of that picture without pissing in that that kiddie pool. You know, right, it kind of yeah. screws everything up. Um, especially, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, like if you DRM. make a
0: mod, like they're trying to like sell some like DLC stat boosting thing, and it's like you make a mod that does that same thing. Yeah. it's like it's how do you gonna, how do you
1: resolve? They're, they're those? just not going to jive. Yeah, um, if there are things that players don't like in the way that the the developer is handling the free to play, and they're able to mod around it, then they will. <laughs> we will. It's what we do. Yeah. We get around shit that we don't like. Right. Um, and that was sort of something that came up, you know, years back with the whole horse armor oblivion debacle was that people were just able to make mods and do the same thing, and why are you trying to sell me horse armor for, you know, 10, 20 bucks? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. So, it's. I mean, do you think that, like, modding and, like, paid mods or, like, paid DLC, like, do you think those are fundamentally incompatible or, or what? Cause no, I, I mean, we, um, we kinda because we kind of saw like a little bit of this with with Doom uh you know it's like there, there were like commercial like yeah. DLC packs you know back before like DLC was Expansion a thing but it was yeah. yeah i mean it was expansions back then but you know it was like like uh you know custom you know like uh, official uh levels and stuff like they were selling as as expansions and it's like you know then at the same time it's like you could easily release those as you know p wads and anyone yeah. could could really just play them but you know i, I mean well, actually people I mean, pretty you good probably remember that.
1: things like d zone which were literally what we were just talking about with yeah. people claiming things that weren't theirs i mean oh, they just yeah, took a bunch yeah. of wads and stuck them on a cd and sold them in stores right yeah. and there was there was nobody who could say hey you can't do that mm-hmm. um that was some real shovelware shit yeah. um I don't know. I, I think overall, what I could say about a lot of what's going on in gaming right now is that we have the ability to make so much more, and I love that. But we have to acknowledge the fact that it also means we're going to have more shit. You know, right. we're, we're going to need to dig a little harder through the pile to find things that are really worth you know investing in both time and money. Um, that's okay. That's okay. We just need better tools to do that with.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean honestly, like that's that's a big reason like I am for. Paid mods, because like I, I feel like it's going to give people more of an incentive to you know actually produce quality, and it, it's going to attract I think the right kind of people to to uh, you know develop mods and make stuff, and it's it's, it's going to encourage higher quality. Uh, you know, I think that's going to end up working out better for everyone.
1: I think at the very least, it'll keep enough avenues into game development open as some of the ones from yesteryear are kind of closing down. Right. You know, it used to yeah. be that you could. Um, kind of embarrassingly, but a lot of the studios out there got their starts as just doing like crappy license titles for handheld devices. You know, you have your Mary Kate and Ashley Game Boy Advance games, but that's sort of your stepping stone into doing uh, your own stuff. right. Um, and now people could just make whatever they want and put it on greenlight and uh, and hopefully make some cash off of that. and it's mm-hmm. it's awesome. I love that that fact. It just also means that we're going to see a lot of things that are either scammy or, poorly made or any combination of the above.
0: That's true. But, yeah, I mean, as long as you have like mechanisms to kind of counteract that, it's, yeah. it, it shouldn't be too prevalent.
1: So paying for mods, you know, opens up another potential path there for people to support themselves as they get their feet wet.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's like I mean it's it's kind of similar I think to kind of kind of it's like when being able to like make indie games and actually have them be profitable and you know, like have that actually be an alternative for people who were making games. As soon as that became viable, it's like you saw like so many talented people like getting into it, you know, like quitting yeah. their jobs and focusing on, you know, making indie games full-time. And we just ended up with like so many more like great, high-quality Creative games, uh, you know, I, I feel like to, to some extent that same kind of thing could happen with modding. Um, so yeah. you know, it's I, I just think it it would be a shame if you know, like the the ability to actually profit off of the hard work uh, you know you're you're doing uh, you know to entertain people and, and give them high quality content if that avenue got shut down for them, I, I just feel like that, I, I just feel like everyone loses. Um,
1: I don't think that avenue is ever going to be shut down. Um, the avenue was actually scared of of losing was for Young people to get some visibility and their work even if that work isn't very good at all, you know the sort of things nobody would pay for mm-hmm. um, but it's their way to, you know, prove to themselves. Hey, I could make something even if it means, you know, putting horns on a helmet and put it out there and have people download it and get people to talk about it because mm-hmm. that's that's an important step.
0: Yeah. I got. Like, it. I, like, I, I think back to like some of my earliest mods, <laughs> like stuff yeah. I did. So it's. I think what, like the first like big thing I put out was like this Doom 2 mod called Hard Doom. It was just like <laughs> basically like I just took like the first ten levels and like just added more monsters to them. <laughs> just like the most just amateur garbage. But you learn a lot
1: that way. It's less about the product and more about how you got there. You had to open up the tools. You had to figure out. were you using like hacked or something. Was was it that long uh, ago? Oh,
0: like deu, I think. Oh, god. Okay. This is yeah, you
1: had you had to. Get into the wads. You had to figure out which lumps to edit. You yeah, had to figure yeah, out what exactly. to add where, um, and you learned a lot by doing that. And you can kind of build off of that.
0: Yeah, it's and like you, even though it was like incredibly simple and you know like five minutes of work, really, it was still <laughs> fun. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you learn a lot doing it, and like you know, adding a couple monsters to a level. I mean, it's it's not something that takes a lot of work, but you know, it can still be fun. You know, it adds a new. It's
1: one of those first steps that tells young people, hey, gaming is not only interactive because you're playing the game; it's interactive because you can be the one in charge of what the game is. Exactly. This is something you can do.
0: Yeah, as far as like the whole like making custom mods and levels thing, I kind of feel like that's kind of gone by the wayside, in partly due to procedural generation. It's kind of like, why you know why go through the effort of like hunting down like a, a high quality uh, level that, like someone else has made? when it's like I could just Oof. like start up a new game and have it generate it for me and start. Oof. <laughs> you know, it's it's like um, most of the like really popular indie games that are coming at, out now are are uh, roguelikes, which you know, I mean, one of like the defining features of that is you know permanent death and procedural generation. So it's like you're always playing a new level.
1: I, I have a few. You never have to play to the same thing there. twice. Um, I, I think you know you've correctly noted the rise of procedural generation um, because we have the technology to. Uh, make you know more than just hallways and, and rooms. Now we can make whole worlds. I'm really looking forward to like No Man's Sky and stuff like that, where presumably everything is presu- uh, procedurally generated. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I think we're also seeing more of that because the technology to handcraft things has kind of fallen behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder. And you, as a doomer, um, and making your own level designer for for Rack, you know that you know uh, level designing has gotten much more complicated than it has in, right. in the past. Yeah, It takes a lot more to get to that base level of, hey, I made a square room, and now I'm walking around in it, which in Doom is like five clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, in any other engine, especially modern engines, it's a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. And procedural generation kind of takes some of the, the pain out of that a little bit. It yeah. takes some of the, well, we want to make these really big, enormous, explorative worlds, but man, we, we don't want to be making five billion vertices Right, uh, And so it addresses that problem a little bit. And in that respect, I think it's a little bit of a crutch.
0: So it's, it's a lot easier to make content, kind of?
1: Procedurally, because, yeah. Because,
0: I, I mean, it's like you literally just like, start a new game, and boom, there it is. Whereas, like, any kind of, like, crap, like, I mean, like, like you're talking about, it's like even, like,
1: making just a cube, like, is, is difficult. Yeah, and I, I just use that as, like, a baseline, you right, know, right. hello world sort of thing. Right, right. Um, but it, it's like even like for like the
0: user to like play a new level, they still have to like pop open Steam Workshop. They still gotta like <laughs> look around for something that looks good, click on that, download it, you know, subscribe to it,
1: whatever. You make it open send the so game hard, back it's up. It's a lot easier than it used to be, man. It like is. It no, like, like that's going to, like, or Game Banana or something. And that's what's crazy. And...
0: Like, it is so much easier than it used to be, and yet people yeah. are so much less interested than they used to be. Like, like, that's... I mean, it's it's like taking a gun to a knife fight. I, I mean, it's... <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the procedurally generated stuff, it's so easy, it's so new all the time. It's it's so, like, I mean, you know, if you're doing the algorithms, right? It's, it's like, quality every time. Yeah, and...
1: I, I think to some extent... Um... What you start responding to when you're playing a game with procedural-generated, say, environments is that you're responding less to the environment itself and more to the things that are happening in the environment. And I think that's an important distinction. If I'm playing a roguelike, I'm never really marveling at the layout of the map because I know it's completely arbitrary. True. Um, I'm more focused on the entities in the map. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we actually lose something there. I mean, one of the great things about our heritage of Doom and Quake level design is the individual level design of it? It's one guy usually um, creating an experience a really handcrafted experience that mm-hmm. can have lots of devious tricks and you know uh, things that you don't expect and little clever you know in jokes and just really nicely crafted bits of scenery you know all of the above and that's something that you really lose when it's you know procedurally generated. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but it's 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 one of those things where it's like. I mean, all that is true, but it's like, do modern audiences appreciate all those little... No, like, I, I don't geez.
1: think anybody really... I don't think enough people appreciated right. it enough in the first place to not go down this road right. we're going down Exactly. Now. I think a lot of the things that were characteristic to shooters in the in the 90s and early 2000s were things that people just assumed were part of the genre, and now that they're not so much, nobody misses them because they they were kind of taken for granted in the first place. Uh, like what? Like level design. Um, you know, we we've all seen that mimetic image of you know comparisons between a Doom level and a Call of Duty level, where right. the yeah. one on the right side is just like a couple of corridors with right angle bends. Um, and, and I think checkpoint that largely cut scene, Checkpoint cutscene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it's a hyperbolic image, and it, it's exagger- exaggeration for effect, but I think it, it makes a good point. Right. Um. Looking at the maps for something like Bioshock Infinite, it's a very spatially simple game,
0: Um,
1: and that just doesn't do it for me. I I like levels that loop back in on themselves and force me to explore and force me to think about the level in a three-dimensional way. Um, Not just Counter-Strike, but a lot of shooters these days, you could essentially play the same game from a top-down perspective, and nothing would be different. Mm -hmm.
0: So, what is it that you think, like, sets something apart, L- like, something like Quake versus Call of Duty? Like, w- what do you think it is that, like, kind of, like, sets them apart, you know, kind of, like, defines them as different genres?
1: I think the the line I draw on the sand really started with Half-Life. I think yeah, Half-Life right. was one of the, the keystone games of saying, hey, shooters should be about delivering a series of experiences to the player, as opposed to delivering an environment to the player.
0: Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's had so much more commercial success versus something like Quake or Doom?
1: A, because I think as um, graphical technology becomes more complex, narrowing down on certain elements uh, makes the development simpler. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not having to worry about so many things, because in Doom, if you wanted to add a secret passage, that goes back around and gives you a better vantage point to shoot some imps on the other side of this you know, arena or whatever, um, you go, okay, cool, I'm going to draw a hallway now. Boop, 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 boop. And sure, I'll, I'll detail it later, but essentially I'm done. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something like Wolfenstein, you know, The New Order, or now The Old Blood, which I still need to play, um, if you want to add that secret hallway, you're talking about maybe $20,000 worth of work. Right, yeah. And so developers start really having to, you know, lay down their priorities of what's important here and what experiences do we want to deliver to the player. And I've heard several developers go, hey, if we can assume that 60% of the players will never see this room, it really starts to make us question what the worth is of having it in there.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've I've made kind of similar arguments about, like, game length and difficulty. You know, it's like, you know, when you, when you look at things like, you know, base... Uh, you know I, I mean there's various things you can do but like, like basically there's ways to like kind of measure like how far people are getting in a game and it's like when you really start to like drill down it's like you realize that like most people don't finish games or, or like even get all that close um so it, it's you know if if it's like 80% of your audience like isn't getting to the the last level or you know it's like 98% of people like aren't getting to the secret level it's it's almost kind of like is it worth it to you know sink all these development dollars into this and
1: and I think that wouldn't be as much of a big problem if something like that didn't require so many development right, dollars right yeah i mean yeah when you're in the AAA business, you're in the business of making sure that you're pushing as many pixels as the next guy, mm-hmm. or pushing twice as many pixels as you were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a tough tail to chase. It's a really tough tail to chase.
0: It, it um, is like, especially when uh, uh, you know, you you can really get stuck between like a rock and a hard place where it's like. Okay, you know that you know like the majority of people like aren't going to you know get you know get through like nine levels or something. So let's like cut it to seven, and then it's like the you know the two percent of people who do get that far, are like oh, there's not enough content here. It's so short. You know, <laughs> there's not enough length, and it's like oh god, what do you do? It's like it's well, not, it's really hard to satisfy everybody.
1: Yeah,
0: but you know, it's like do you spend tons of extra money to satisfy this vocal minority, or do you? I don't know. Just kind of eat that and accept that they're gonna complain. I don't. It's hard. You know, it's it is
1: hard, and it's actually really hard for me to verbalize because the things that I look for, particularly in a shooter, um, are, are things like exploring an environment and getting lost and doubling back and maybe being frustrated with the design sometimes. That's stuff I really like, mm-hmm. and I think that's not something I have in common with a lot of people, with a lot of the general audience. Uh, fortunately, it's something that I've I've found you know, most recently in games like Dark Souls and those games have done a fantastic job on the large on the large part for building a world that I want to explore and I want to be in.
0: So like what is it that makes you wanna explore those? because it's like they're they're so big and like you see stuff that intrigues you and you wanna go check it out or or what is it?
1: It's a combination of things. I think one of the biggest things is that the environment kind of invites you to experiment and kind of take risks and not know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that creates the feeling of, "Hey, maybe I'm not supposed to be here yet." Right. Yeah. But if you've ever played Super Metroid, that's a that's a good feeling. Right. Yeah. You know, you you feel like that you're breaking the game somehow, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, it's uh, it's sort of a tactile thing. If you've ever driven through and. I hate this example, but I still can't think of anything better. If you've ever driven through like a, an un, unfamiliar city, like once through the highway, just because you were passing through, mm-hmm. you're not really able to recall much about that city spatially. Right. Now, I've I've played through Doom three several times, but I still remember very little about it from a spatial standpoint. Yes, that... Like,
0: there's like no landmarks. There's nothing that kind
1: of. You're Successful. you're looking at it from one angle, really. You're you're just holding down W mm. for the large part of the time because you kind of have this linear perspective of what the world is around you. But compare that to like your 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 neighborhood, where you've driven around the block a few times in different directions. You've you've uh, maybe gotten lost a few times. You you know, you know, in at least two dimensions, where streets fit into each other. And mm. similarly, if you're playing like a multiplayer Quake map. Um, you have that kind of tactile sense of the level. You right. know how things fit together. You know what the angles are between this hallway and that room or this item and this you know, pillar or whatever. You know how all those things fit together, and... The map feels like a physical object in your mind.
0: Yeah, and it is something about us, us humans, that it's like a we we tend to like remember things once we can like relate it to something else. It's why it's like babies have like no memory like up until like they're three years old. It's like they, they haven't made enough sense out of the world to like you know. It's like when they see a bird. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's it's the same thing. It's like you know, in your neighborhood, it's like you're so intimately familiar with it. Everything has like a. Relation to another thing that it's like, you can like pick out, yeah. You know, it's like if, if something's like different, it's like you know it immediately because yeah. it's, you
1: know. I mean, it, there, there are two things in particular I can remember. Um, in Dark Souls, just to bring that back up, uh, very early in the game, you, you know, you kind of take your initial path. That, have you played Dark Souls? I've not. I, okay, I really I need to. Highly recommended. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a bit where you're going through an area and you're killing a bunch of shit and you kill a boss and you come to the spot and then you see an elevator and because you're playing through the game, and you're like, okay, where does this go? You take the elevator down, and then you kind of blink for a second and step back, and you're like, oh, and you're back to the beginning. What you've done is made a giant loop, and what you've just opened up is a shortcut between the very beginning of that area and that elevator that takes you to what at that point is the very end of that area. Mm-hmm. And then it's just that that one moment of realizing that you're back to where you were, you're just looking at it from a different angle, and then it all clicks. And what was up until that point... Sort of a linear set of experiences in your brain suddenly becomes three dimensional because mm-hmm. now you know how things relate to each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, it's 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 like you said with the the quake maps. Like getting to see like different areas from like different vantage points. It, it's like it, you just like understand. You know, it's like when you see things from like from a different perspective. It's like uh, suddenly it's it, it all just like kind of like clicks together. And it's like yeah,
1: it really I, I, I really sense enjoy if, those like... moments. Uh, and yeah. um, there's a similar moment in uh, Mega Man Legends which does a really good job of having like a lot of Zelda-esque dungeons. But then there's sort of this sub-dungeon that kind of connects them all together, hmm. which is really neat, and it kind of opens up as you play through the game. Hmm. And there were several moments of, oh, wait, I've been in this room before. I just haven't been in this room from this angle.
0: Right, yeah,
1: yeah. And I really like those moments a lot. I don't know. Maybe that's just a weird thing that I particularly enjoy.
0: No, I I think that's uh, that's fairly universal. I know I came across like a like a Half Life level design wiki. You know, it's, it's something. <laughs> well, no, it's like it's something where it's like they, they talk about like different like design techniques. And I think it like comes from Valve or, or something. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it was talking about it's like it it is a big thing. Like they try to do in their levels. It's like it's it's kind of like part of nonlinearity. It's like they, they want you to like return to like the same area, but like in a different. Kind of way, so it's like oh you know, God. maybe it's like you go through an area once, like down the floor, and then it's like later on you cross over it, like on a bridge that's like up top, and it's like just kind yeah. of seeing seeing that that same area from like a different perspective. It just kind of helps like tie everything together and just it does. Helps it all but
1: I sense. I still go back to the fact that I, I think Half Life was the beginning of the end of that in a lot of ways. I know, yeah, <laughs> because
0: <laughs> that, that it is was fun, really yeah.
1: it it was focused on. You know the the spec ops come through the window, and then the helicopter thing happens, and then you're in a room talking to these guys, and then the aliens burst in and then you know the the game is kind of built as a sequence of events rather than letting you explore an area right.
0: You know, I, I kind of talked a little bit in the intro about how you know it's like kind of like even though you know these arena shooters you know they, they went away, they're they're kind of making a bit of a comeback. You know, I mentioned the game Toxic and uh, you know hashtag wreck. I think there's like a couple others uh, that are that are being made. But do you, do you think there is more to that than just like kind of like an appeal to nostalgia, or do you feel
1: like there there's something more to it? For one thing, there's a vacuum. Um, Quake Live exists, but a lot of people are kind of disillusioned with it. Uh, largely due to the fact that it's not really being supported in a lot of uh, conventions or tournaments or lands anymore.
0: And, and Were people uh, upset that it was uh, like being put on Steam and like they changed it and they didn't like?
1: No, the no. I think if anything, people would have been upset that it didn't show up on Steam a lot earlier. Hmm, okay. um, Quake Live has kind of had a, a, a weird history. It was never really meant to be this thing that it is and this thing that a lot of people expected it to be. Right. But it, it kind of had to fill that role because nothing else was going to do it. After Quake 4 kind of sunk, mm-hmm. um, Quake Live there was there to you know take up the banner. And for a while it was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. It's opening the doors to Quake 3, the game that we all actually really like, to a bunch of people who have never played it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and what... Eight years later, <laughs> uh, things are—you know—people are, are looking for something new now, mm-hmm. and it just isn't coming quickly enough. Right. Um, so I think there's a real vacuum. There's a real need from this audience to, um, you know, provide something, which is where Reflex is trying to fit in. A lot of things like that. The other side of that is that it, it's so much easier to make these games now than it ever was before. We have Unity now. We have Unreal Engine now. Mm-hmm. Um, games like Wickland and Rack and a few other things that you mentioned, uh, they're a lot easier to put together now than they were. So, yeah, we're, we're seeing sort of an explosion there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, the the fact that there's, like, a vacuum there, do you think it's, like, the, the old Quake 3 players who are wanting this, or is this, like, a new generation of people who want this kind of game?
1: I don't think it's quite fair to say that there's a new generation just yet. Okay. I think the biggest question mark is how to take these things that we all really enjoy and make it fit the context of games that have... Hats and microtransactions and leveling up—that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to sound so disdainful, but the, the fact no, no, is that the, the gaming landscape now is so different than right. than what we're used to. We're used to you know kind of getting in and being really bad for a while and just eating that and having other people kind of teach you and coach you and and go along. And sometimes you're losing a lot, and that's okay. Now I, I don't I don't think that happens quite so much.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's I mean we, we've kind of had. We we've kind of gone through like similar things in the the whole FGC the fighting game community, but it's like I I, I do think it's kind of interesting. It's it's these these games, uh, you know, like arena shooters and, and fighting games. They largely reward skill, at which I don't think is appealing to a mainstream audience. Just because like most people like I mean you know of a million people in a tournament only one person can win and like that's so i mean for the other 999,000 like they're they're not going to be happy because they're not uh winning so it's it, it was kind of interesting like reading about like call of duty and some of these other games yeah. who it's like they reward grinding more than uh like skill. So it's like you play a multiplayer game, it's like you bring your character in that you've worked on, you know, you've leveled up and everything. So it's it's not it's not like an entirely skill-based competition. It's more like okay, well I put I more time in. The biggest want
1: to look at there right now is something like League of Legends or Dota 2. Um And uh, Thorne, I don't know if you're too familiar with him, but he's like an old-school, you know, like, CPL uh, admin. He's been kind of a a pundit and a commentator on these things for a long time, and he moved into the MOBAs, and I never did. Hmm. Uh, But he's showing a lot of frustration these days that uh, the teams that are winning aren't winning consistently enough to really prove that this is a game where the good players are actually the good players, Hmm. Um, where, you know, you have crazy upsets that happen all the time, and at some point they stop being crazy upsets and they start being indicative of, well, maybe this game is a little bit too random. Right. Maybe this isn't like actually a sport.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Not, not fair enough. Yeah. And you know, it's, Hmm. It, it's definitely a, a tricky balance for game designers. Cause it's like, you don't want, <laughs> you don't want like the, the most skilled player or, or, or skilled team or whatever, like to win all the time. It's like,
1: you want there to be some randomness.
0: So it's like,
1: not exactly randomness, but you want there to be some gatekeeping to kind of keep the freshest from the, the most veteran, um, which games like StarCraft 2 have done to a fairly good extent. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, it's 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 like, I mean, it's like in basketball, it's like if LeBron James' team like won the title every year, it's like... I, I think people would get fed up with that pretty quickly. And it's like, you know, if, if Justin Wong won Marvel 3 every year at Evolution,
1: well, people does, would get... Almost. No, he doesn't!
0: He doesn't! <laughs> he did in Marvel 2, and people hated that. Uh, but he hasn't Marvel 3 yet, so... Fingers crossed. I don't know. I um, I, I
1: think... Yeah, that, hmm. You know, it's... I, I mean, I, I you you, you, you want, of... like, the
0: best players, I think, to have the greatest chance of winning, but... At the same time, you don't want them to win 100% of the time.
1: I don't know. If I recontextualize that into something like chess, which is something that a lot of people compare Quake and Quake likes to, I'm not sure that really holds up because the people who win in chess consistently win in chess.
0: Right, but I mean, you can design a game that way. But my my point is, like, it'll be boring for the audience, and I think the thing, and, and, that and I think it'll, it'll like of. other players won't like that too, because it's like, well, I I can't. This guy just always wins. Like, I I have no chance. I'm not as good. He's just more talented. He's smarter. Whatever. And like, then they're gonna check out, and like, that's that's not good either.
1: Well, I think they check out when they feel like they're losing. Um, not even necessarily against your Justin Wongs, but just against other people in their circle. Mm-hmm. Or just other people online. Right. And that's something I think games like Counter-Strike and Call of Duty and League of Legends and Dota 2 uh, kind of minimize by putting you on a team of five. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're losing, it's not 100% your fault. Right. Um, and if you're winning, that might not even be your responsibility. You might just be getting carried. And actually, this kind of surprised me back when MOBA started. In Counter-Strike or even Quake, if if somebody is referred to as someone who's carrying the team, it's a little bit of an insult to the rest of the team. <laughs> it's like, you guys only won because you had this one player. Right. And the carry in a League of Legends team is usually like a standard thing. It's something that people expect. Mm-hmm. They want there to be that one guy who's going to be there to carry the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not the way that... That shouldn't be encouraged, for one thing. <laughs> that's not a good thing at all. That Where I'm from, that's a derogatory statement. Right, right. Um. But I think that that's a major factor in the public play of a lot of these games, Mm -hmm. is that uh, the feelings of loss are minimized because you're on a team of five other people. Right. And the responsibility for you to push the game into a winning state isn't really on one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I mean that – hmm. And a third thing there, especially in the case of Counter-Strike, hey, I just hopped into – Dust 2, which I've never played before. I've never played this game before, but if I'm not a complete pants-on-head, retarded person, (laughs) I could just follow my team and go where they go and kind of be led by the nose and do okay. Mm
0: Yeah, I, I... I, I can see how that's definitely more appealing to a wider audience and well, the other thing about that is like because like it, it is more appealing and it gets more people into it it's also gonna be a much more alive game you know or, or it's like if, if another game it's like if it's if it's all about individual play and like anyone who's not like the best like just like quits well then like the player base is gonna Dwindle and then like no right. one's gonna have anyone else to play. And with, with.
1: free to play games, the player base is the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. It's the most important thing. People play free to play games because other people are playing them. Because mm-hmm. you can download it. There's people on the servers. It's easy to find a match.
0: That's... Which is why I'm I'm so surprised that Toxic is having as much success as it is. I mean that's that's like a <laughs> it's like a twenty dollar uh, arena shooter. That's like an We're early access.
1: Pandering to an audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The, I mean, that trailer was like straight up, like it's unreal for 2015. So yeah, no, no, no. I know there's, Free a, there's to play. No Free to play.
1: There's a there's a large audience of Unreal players who will just come out of the woodwork for stuff like that. Yeah, um, well, I don't you it, know as many people, and this is where my perspective kind of gets me in trouble because I don't know a lot of people who aren't in shooters, so I'm I'm not able to speak to. You know How many people are playing this that have never played shooters before? How many people are coming into this as a newbie? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really what we want. I mean, right. in, in Quake, it's sort of a contentious just, issue because we all knew each other. I mean, it's, it's a small enough community at this much, point. Pretty much, yeah. It's yeah. not tiny, but it's small enough that you can get around and, and know pretty much everybody mm-hmm. within a fairly short amount of time. Right. Um, and, and we like each other, and we don't always respond to new players in the best light.
0: That 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 can be a problem, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I can understand. Um, now, thankfully, there are a lot of younger players, or a few younger players, who kind of take that attitude and kind of run with it. You know, they see that that competitive part of the game, and they just go, "All right, cool, this is what I want," and they just dive into it headfirst. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody is like that, right?
0: yeah so it's i i mean i guess like you're if if that's kind of like the mentality of the community it's gonna attract like a certain kind of person, and then it's like everyone else i don't know probably gonna get turned off a little bit, which is fine i mean it it all kind of depends on like what you know the community as a whole is is after yeah yeah so if you're, if you if you only want like really hyper competitive people you know to to play against
1: i mean well other things help too um this is what I kind of call the carrot on the stick, but every like major game right now has some sort of either leveling or uh, drop mechanic where you're getting some non-game important item. You know, mm-hmm. a, a weapon skin or a character skin or something of that nature just for playing it. So even if you lose, your experience bar is going up a little bit and ding, yay, you got something new, congrats, pat on the head, you know, yeah. take your cookie.
0: S- some kind of, like, sense of progression even playing.
1: if it's completely pointless or unwarranted or all the above mm-hmm. um, And I, I'm making a shooter right now uh, slowly and right now I'm wondering can I get away with not having a progression system right? C- can I even do that these days? Mm-hmm. Is that even an option open to me? Can I make something like a quake mod that where you just play it mm-hmm. and you just keep playing it? But progression systems keep people playing. Um, you, you see that really overtly and worn on the sleeve of games that have uh, rewards for logging in each day. Huh? Like well, what game has
0: something like that?
1: Oh, lots. Um, a lot of MMOs: uh, Firefall, Warframe, Cerverium. I think League has it as well. Um, where just by logging in for consecutive days, you're rewarded for that. Wow! Because they're free-to-play they, games, you know, the audience is their product.
0: They're try um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, they're, they're really trying to, you know, kind of create that connection, that
1: something to kind of keep you coming back over and over. And Counter-Strike Global Offensive wasn't... It's been around for a while, but it hasn't been, you know, a major thing until the whole uh, loot crate thing started becoming a part of it. Right. And, yeah, that, that plays a major factor into it, where people are filling up XP bars that don't mean anything, but it keeps them playing.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a... You know, it's... I, I mean, not everyone's into... Actually, probably only a minority of people are, are really into, you know, kind of hyper-competitive, uh, you know, kind of achievement yeah. and dominance. And, you know, it's like a, lots of different people are are into different things. So this is kind of a way to you know, That's something
1: to I would love to get some hard data on. I, I think part of, you know, shooter players bemoaning the fact that the community isn't as big as it used to be is a little bit less that and a little bit more that the general gaming community is so much larger than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And sure, we're, we might not be growing anymore, but we're still, you know, fairly sizable. It's just that there are literally millions of kids playing League of Legends. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, someone brought up a statistic to me the other day, and it's like twenty-five percent of like all PC gamers play League of Legends, and like the next closest game is like six percent. Like
1: it's well, then you have Dota,
0: and we, that, that that probably is Dota at six. <laughs> so
1: yeah. It's
0: like just MOBA. It's just everything And they're, they're
1: both massive, and I think deservedly oh, yeah. so. Um, I, I'm actually a huge fan of a lot of the things that are happening in the eSports scene right now.
0: I, I mean, they're they're getting coverage on ESPN now.
1: Well, I mean, the developers are directly pushing these things now, which is the biggest change. Um, it used to be when id releases a quake, it's the community or the CPL back in the day mm-hmm. that would take the game and run with it and right. create the scene. Right. Um, and it would maybe put out a bug fix patch, and that would be kind of the end of their involvement with the community. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Riot runs League of Legends tournaments, Valve runs Dota tournaments, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is really cool. The big question is, if you're not one of those big developers slash publishers, uh, what chances do your game have of really getting to that scale? Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you you kind of set up some unique challenges for yourself, I think, with Riot.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, that's... That's a subject for a whole other episode, but yeah, okay. it's yeah, it uh, you know, I I I think probably like the the base thing, like the biggest mistake I made with that was like a taking six years with it. I mean, like w- when we started, like by the time we finished after starting, it was like the gaming world was just like a, a completely different place. Mm-hmm. You know, it was oh, I mean, there's there's too much to get into, but yeah, it's it, you know, I, I mean these these things change fast, and uh, yeah, I, I mean you know as I was talking about in the intro, like. I mean, like, at one point, you know, these games were, you know, these arena shooters were just absolutely huge. It just made up a huge part of the gaming culture. And, you know, almost overnight, like, as soon as, like, uh, Half-Life, Halo, and Call of Duty came out, it was like... It's all Half-Life's fault. I know, I know. But (laughs) Valve are gods. We can... They can do no wrong. Um... (laughs) But, you know, it's like those games, like, all just kind of like, vanished. And it wasn't just arena shooters. Like, it was, like, a, you know, kind of the doom like as well. So. Yeah. yeah uh, so, I, I mean, we're I still really largely, like, like, we're in, like, the same kind of boat as, like, these arena shooters. You know, it's, like, kind of, you know, kind of falling by the wayside. Like, a little bit of a resurgence, but, you know, still kind of, like, struggling for relevancy.
1: No. I'm, I'm less doom and gloom about it. Um, because I think there are still a lot of cool projects going on and still a lot of really cool people. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, my experience with the shooter community isn't going to get better if a bunch of randoms start hopping on. Um, I'm pretty comfortable with the situation as it is, and I think you know things are kind of growing in a neat direction, especially with all the games being developed. There's lots of things for me to cover, mm-hmm. lots of things for me to kind of try out and be excited for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly to... Um, to the, the pixel platformer revolution of the last few years, I did want to might... bring
0: that up. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we might be getting into the realm of Doom likes kind of showing up. Yeah,
0: maybe. I I know. Uh, like you started talking about like sprite based uh, shooters making a comeback. Um, are are, are there any of those like uh, I I know there's Strafe. one. Um, Space is Strafe, the biggest okay. one right now. But isn't yeah. that aren't those models?
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily need to be sprite based, but, you know, 90 shooter. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, low poly, you know, model based games are are a huge plus for me. I think that's a fucking great path to to go down there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Just because it it doesn't take as long to. We should have done a
0: crazy ad like them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that advertisement was just brilliant, um, and it really drew me in. Finding out that the levels were going back to a previous point, prestige what they generated, was a little bit of a letdown, but I'm wondering if they're not backpedaling on that a little bit
0: let me play no you'll just die <laughs> it was fantastic it was, it was it was
1: just so good yeah it just nailed things on the head
0: oh yeah um, was, like just reading about like everything they did to you know kind of make it, you know, it it's like they they shot it on like uh you know like like one of those like old handheld cameras yeah and, like, they like put it on like an actual VHS and like
1: random. drama stuff yeah
0: so I mean they, they really tried to recreate the authentic, and I, I don't want to look
1: to diminish my position by just pining for the few of the 90s, um, I think there's a lot of value in having shooters out there that are, you know, maybe a little bit more lo-fi, but they're more flexible and they, you know, can be developed faster. People can make content for them faster. Um, we can iterate on different ideas faster. Yeah. That's... Um, I think there's a lot of potential there.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, what you were talking about how, you know, back to the, you know, the when you were giving the example of the old blood, how it's like, oh, you know, I could put this hallway in here, but it'll take another $20,000 of yeah, development do to do it. Yeah. W- that's whereas, unsustainable. Whereas, yeah. Whereas, like, you can with, like, a, you know, a more lo-fi uh, shooter. But I, I think we kind of have, like, the exact kind of thing. Uh, Again, I can't speak English it's a it's a challenge for me uh, you know it's right. like you kind of have like the same kind of thing with like indie games now where it's like because like it's you know the art is you know it's pixel art it's you know it's simple it's lo-fi it's like you can iterate on you know things and ideas like so much faster than you can with like yeah. a giant game so it's like you kind of end up with like you know maybe maybe visually it's not as good like it's so, uh... And that's that's certainly a point for for debate. Okay. <laughs> um, but it, but it's you get you get like much better much better fleshed out ideas. You you probably get a lot more content in a lot of cases. Um, right. Yeah. Just just like much much better. Uh, but yeah, you you know what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important because you know, like you kind of experienced if you kind of take six years to do something, you kind of end up missing your own boat. Right. Yeah. That definitely um, happened. And thankfully, you know what we saw with platformers is, you know, we saw things like Super Meat Boy come out of it, which, you know, not only broke ground for the genre but for indie games in general. You know, kind of became one of those cornerstones. Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to see that with a shooter real soon, but I think we're 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 getting there. Well, there's if, a lot if they of do like...
0: indie shooter the movie, then we'll be all <laughs> set.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I think we there's a bit of time before that's going to happen. I'm I've been looking at a lot of the sprite based and sort of poly based. um Lo-fi shooters out there, and a lot of them are they're they're, they're crap. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are really bad. Yeah. I'm not counting Rack in that. In that, yeah, category, it's, I, I kind I of feel
0: like Rack is kind of like in between. <laughs> it's like it's like we try to be like AAA, but it's like you know at the same time it's like the. I,
1: I don't think aren't. AAA is is a worthy goalpost. Um, you know the advantage that you get for doing something lo-fi is everything I talked about. You know you can have more stuff in there. You use mm-hmm. the word content, and that's right. right. That's right. why people play roguelike so much is because yeah you're. Your friggin' at symbol and everything is ASCII code, but um, there's so many deep interactions to have with the monsters and with the items in the world around you because you don't need to animate everything. You don't need a new graphic for a new monster. You just need yeah. a new letter. Um, pretty much. And if you could translate that same sort of mo into a shooter, then great. So, for a lot of them out there right now, are really stroking. Stay that tuned. Has, <laughs> yeah, they're really stroking that '90s nostalgia bone pretty hard, and I, I, I love quote-unquote retro graphics, but I don't love them because they're retro. I think that they can look cool on their own terms, and I think that they can be iterated on faster. You
0: know, I I mean, that's... There's value there. I I think you and I have, like, the exact same stance on this. You know, it's like a game like, um... Yeah, it's like a game like Shovel Knight will come out, and, like, everyone goes nuts over it. Yeah, you know, like because it's like so retro, or it's, like I kind of th- feel like if, if all they, the people
1: wearing Nintendo controller belt buckles, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck off.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's like I, I don't appreciate like that, be- like only because like oh, it's it's like the it's like the NES graphics. It's like my childhood. I remember being a kid. That was a happy time. Yeah, you know. It's like no. It's like I like it because it looks really good. Like it's extremely yeah. well done. And... it can
1: be aesthetically pleasing on its own terms exactly yeah i, I was noting today I-, I don't know if i've really formulated this thought just yet so maybe you can help me out but i'll try i was playing axiom verge which like shovel knight um is really you know being very nes-ish mm-hmm. it's being explicitly metroid-ish mm-hmm. in particular uh but i noticed that the things that it brought over from the nes were you know the resolution and the color count you know problems on the NES were things like you know sprites could only get so big and you could only have eight on a certain row at a time or you would have to flicker between them Right. and you couldn't display sprites until you moved in your entire background and there were a lot of really inflexible things about the NES hmm. nobody's nostalgic about that right yeah yeah, but everybody's okay with the pixels and the colors.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's cuz like people like when they think of like the NES, they don't think about like sprite flickery, you know, it's like it's it's like that kind of like little nuanced details like those get forgotten. And like plus like I mean, I I've, most games I think that did a good job like probably worked around those limitations so he like, didn't really worked
1: with them like the them. best art and this applies to Doom as well. The best art really works with the limitations of the technology. Right. Right. That's why we still have like uh, you know, 16-bit demo scene people out there and Commodore 64 game developers and Doom uh, level designers and all those guys. Yeah. It's because we like working within these constraints. And
0: I, I think, like, good developers will institute those constraints, like, e- even, like, artificially, like, just because, like, it it kind of forces uh, more creativity and everything.
1: Well, the, the constraints that developers are working on now or working with now, I think, are largely of their own making. They've decided... This is what a triple A game needs to look like, and if it means that you know uh, things are a little bit more inflexible, then oh well. Um, in Doom Three, I spent a good hour uh, smacking around the uh, the traffic cone at the beginning of the first level, and I have a point here. Trust me, I spent <laughs> a good hour just whacking that around because it was just so much fun just to hear it and feel it, and you know, it was one of my first times really playing with physics in that context. Mm-hmm. In Rage, because of the mega textures. The, the traffic cones are part of the ground. Oh, God. They're, they're part of the same geometry. They're not even a distinct model. They're just uh, a lump on the ground. A really nice-looking lump, but um, a non-interactive one. Right. And so I think a lot of the, the gives and takes that AAAs are, are giving themselves, they're doing so knowing this is what we kind of have to give up. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's less hardware constraints and more, well, does anybody care about beating up a uh, a traffic code i do <laughs>
0: that's oh that's the trade-off so
1: yeah yeah and actually there was a a funk message board thread a few months ago that i thought was interesting from uh one of the developers of uh of wolfenstein the new order is that due to the Tech 5 mega texture, it's actually more computationally cheap to render a really complicated scene far away as opposed to uh a hallway right in front of you. Just because the way the texture memory works and the way the the yeah. LOD works at a distance, you can have wow, you know, spaceships and robots fighting each other on the horizon and that's cheaper to do than having a brick wall in front of you. Oh, jeez. That's fascinating yeah. to me. I mean, it, it's so backwards yeah. you would think. So,
0: oh, it, it just just kind of like to really kind of finish your thought on Axiom Verge. So, you were mentioning uh, that it, like the, the fact that it's like pixel art is like more than just like an appeal to nostalgia. Like it's actually more like a deliberate design choice. So, what is it yeah. that you think like that kind of like art style
1: like offers? Uh, in terms I can of actually benefits? bring this back into Quake, oddly enough. Sure. Um, it, like I mentioned before, it's really trying to look like Metroid. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about Metroid um, is that the world was so weird. The game was so weird. None of it made sense. Kind of like Dark Souls, it didn't really explain itself to you. You kind of had to figure it out. And honestly, most of us as kid, kids never really did figure it out. But we felt like that there was something to figure out, so that's why we still remember it so mm-hmm. well. Uh, but the world was weird. It was just really alien. There were a lot of hidden passages that were just, you know, behind the tiles that would usually be walls. But, you know, you never knew what could be a hidden passage just because the background's always black and some of them are transparent, some of them aren't. And you can't tell because what's the difference? Right. Uh but that sort of low fineness kind of lent itself to that oppressive, even Lovecraftian atmosphere. Similarly, in Quake, like one of the really scary things about a lot of the monsters is that they were like made out of four polygons. <laughs> um over the years, people have made new versions of like the Quake Zombie or the Quake Ogre or even the Shambler. And it's like they look terrible, right? It's not they look not that they look terrible. I mean, they're good art. I mean, there have been some really good ones. But I think everybody agrees that it doesn't really capture the same feel mm-hmm. as the original. Right. Because the originals were so ambiguously textured and kind of modelly modeled. Yeah, it's the
0: same with the um, Doom Sprite. It's like every yeah. time someone makes like a new Doom Imp, I'm like, ah, no. No thanks.
1: So some of it is, you know, interpretive. I mean, you kind of have in your mind's eye what the Imp actually, quote unquote, looks like. Exactly, yeah. And somebody imposes their own vision on that, and it kind of ruins things. I mean, especially with the Quake Shambler. Um, Every time somebody makes some art, there's always a huge argument. It was like, no, that's not scales, it's fur. No, those aren't eyes, those are nostrils. No, that actually does have fur, blah, blah, blah. The Revenant has pants, it's not blood. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Everybody has their own sort of mental image of what this thing actually looks like. Right. Um, So we're getting into the realm of Lo-fi art being kind of um, evocative or even impressionistic.
0: Yeah, it it, it it leaves something to the imagination. You know, and, and there's something like different about you know. It's like when your mind has to like kind of fill in the gaps. It, it's definitely a different experience than when it's all kind of explicitly fed to you.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's a concept that just needs to be divorced from. Oh, it's retro.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. You know, it's it's kind of like a I think it's kind of similar like to like movies like, you know, it's like when you watch like a like a TV show or, or something. Like, it's generally like, I don't know, like 30 frames a second so whatever it is. But, you know, it's like you kind of have your, your standard TV frame, right? But then it's like when you watch a movie, you know, it's like 20 frames a second or 15 or whatever it is. So it's like there's a lot more gaps there. Uh, just because like it's it's not That's feeding you as many topic, frames, yeah. yeah. But it's the fact that like you're kind of filling the rest in with your brain. It's I don't. It's like it's more engaging. It's it's definitely different. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of wonder like if if the fact that your brain is kind of like having to do more to fill in the blanks, so to speak. Um,
1: to be honest, I'm I'm still kind of on the fence with that because my internal story was. Hey, The Hobbit is coming out at 48 frames a second. Finally, we're moving past this completely arbitrary 24 frames a second debacle. And as a Quaker, you know, more frames is more better. Right. That yeah. Just, it just makes sense. And then you see it, and you're like, oh, this isn't really better. Right. And then you start wondering why. And there's been a lot of opinions on, you know, why that is. You mm-hmm. know, part of it is, oh, well, the lighting had to be twice as bright because you know the shutter speed and. Oh well, you can actually see all of the uh, the seams on the costumes now, so things seem more fake huh, because you can actually see everything more clearly. Huh. And I'm not really sure if those things make sense to me just yet. Right. Um I'm not sure if that's the complete story, but yeah, yeah it's it's a weird
0: But it's it's definitely moment. not, you know, more more, you know, if some is good, more is better, like it's, that's definitely does not seem to be always the case. Yeah. I mentioned in the intro about how you know, kind of like when it comes to arena shooters and like the, the gameplay, they, there does kind of tend to be like this landslide effect. And I'm sure as you, having done commentary on a lot of matches, are are familiar with it, but it's kind of like once one person like gets going, you know, like they pretty much become unstoppable because it's like they get the megasphere, so they survive, you know, the first little skirmish. And then because they survive that, they get to go, you know, keep all of their equipment and go gather up more armor and everything, which puts them in a much better position to pick up the next megasphere etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's like even though it's like the two players are you know kind of similar in skill it's like whoever kind of gets that first advantage like you know they just kind of like run away with the match and like do you, do you feel like there's any way to like overcome that in, a, in, a, in an arena shooter or is like that just or is like the fact that that uh the advantages come from gathering resources in the environment does that just kind of like naturally mean that like whoever kind of gets stuff first is gonna kind of go on a rampage
1: Fortunately, it's a really well-explored topic. It's something that you know a lot of people have noticed. And whenever anybody makes a new game, it's always you know what do we do about spawns? What do we do about right, you know armor right. balance? What do we do about weapon damage? Um, and I think it's been interesting to watch the changes from Quake World to Quake Two to Quake Three because they have very different approaches mm-hmm. um, to that question. Uh, so like, what what are some I, of the
0: approaches that they
1: they take? Oh, I mean, I, I don't even really think I have a preference on this, but the, there's a huge difference between, say, Quake World and Quake Live. In Quake World, you have tiered armors, so you know a red armor actually protects you more than a green armor or yellow armor does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weapons hurt a lot. If you get hurt with the, if you get hit directly with the rocket um, without any armor, you're dead. If you get hit directly with the rocket, when you have a little bit of armor, you're probably still dead. If you get hit directly with the rocket when you have red armor, you could take a couple of those. You know, it's it's a huge curve. Mm -hmm. Um, Where Quake Live is a little bit more linear um, because you don't have tiered armor and the weapons do a little bit less damage overall. Mm -hmm. And so the combat readiness of somebody who's stacked to 200, 200, health and armor respectively uh, is not a huge amount more than the person who isn't. Whereas in Quake World... You know that dynamic is much more sharply defined. I see. And so in Quake World, you know, if you're the player not in control of the items, you're definitely playing a different game. You are playing a vastly different game. You're trying to hide. You're trying to avoid fights. You're trying to take a pot shot where you can. But largely, you're just looking for an opening. Mm-hmm. In Quake Live, you're generally picking a lot more fights, just because you can walk out of there alive, or you can do a little bit of damage. And then go recover pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, and so the dynamics of is this fight worth taking is you know is a huge difference between them, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think Wickland really brought up nicely. I don't know if you played much of that yet. I, I have not. Not a lot of people have, but I, I've, I've I'm trying to chat. I, I hear good things. About I think it. It, it's worth playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it brings in some of the the fighting game characteristics of you know short matches and uh, having a lobby that you just top in and, and just play people on. Sounds but it, it's. Very, very leaning towards you know one person is the aggressor and one player is the the defender or the hider mm-hmm. um, or the one who has to look for opportunities. And personally, I like that stuff. I like being in a position where I need to be smarter than the other guy in order to take control back. Now, fortunately, in Quake World, once you do get that control back, you can usually hang on to it for a little bit of time because of the damage to armor. You know ratios in mm-hmm. Quake Live. Once you get that control back, you might only have it for a few seconds, right. just because of those same issues. Right. So they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure which one is better than the other.
0: So is Quake Three the one where it's like if you're stacked at 200 200, you don't have as much of an advantage as you do in Quake World?
1: Not compared to Quake World. Okay. No.
0: That, that that strikes me as being the better way to do it. I mean, that way it's like you're emphasizing you know, skill and accuracy and all that versus like, hey, I got to the mega health first, um,
1: which sounds... You know, it's, well, I, uh, obviously, you it, get to the mega health first. It's kind of counterintuitive at that point, actually, because the items, quote-unquote, don't matter as much as they do in Quake World. They, they still matter, but they, they don't define the differences between the two players quite as much as they do in Quake World. But because of that, the player who doesn't currently have control of that mega he doesn't have any real disincentive to uh, challenge the Mega. You know, they're both going to show up on that item and fight over that item. Whereas in Quake World, the guy who doesn't have any items, he might just need to leave it completely because he's going to be completely outmatched there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have more fights happening more often in Quake Live, but those are fights that leave both players kind of limping away sometimes. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that does strike me as, as the better way to do it, so... But you know, I I don't I don't particularly particularly have a dog in either fight. So
1: yeah, I mean, I I, I broadcast for all of them, I play them all yeah, um, to some level of competency. Not very much, just because I've, I'm too scatterbrained. But uh, no, I, I, there are appreciable differences. Mm-hmm. Now, what they do for new players who are trying to get into and trying to understand things, I think that there's a lot that could be done there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the major things that has been apparent in games that aren't Quake is that all of the little emergent gameplay aspects things like skiing in in tribes or like spreads in in counter-strike or any of those things or or timing you know dragons or mobs in league of legends those are all things that are now acknowledged by the game itself it's something that when you start playing the game the game tells you hey do this stuff Mm -hmm. in tribes one skiing was a bug in tribes two skiing was something you could buy from the menu
0: doesn't like Quake Live have like a like counter? It's like, hey, the Meg Health is going to respawn in twenty, nineteen, eighteen. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, those are on pubs. Most people who are serious competitors play with them off because we always have right, <laughs> people right, are, are stubborn that way. Yeah. Um, but there are so many things of that nature in Quake. There's the movement. There's timing items. There's knowing when to challenge a person and knowing when to back off. There's so many elements to it that just need to be taught over time. And what hasn't happened over time is that the game hasn't taken a role in teaching you those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Quake is never going to tell you, "Hey, uh, red armor's up," right. or "Hey, red armor's actually worth timing, and this is why you should do it." Right. So don't just run around with your your pants around your ankles.
0: Yeah, and, um, and that's you know I mean, that's something where it's like you know if the developers of these games maybe took a role more like Riot does in League, you know, it's like you know or it's like they were, they were kind of championing their own game and kind of trying to. Educate the player base and everything. I mean, maybe you would see more of that.
1: And I yeah, mean, maybe, it's, maybe it would it's be not good easy. for
0: the community as whole. Well. Yeah, it's definitely not easy.
1: I've been a, a big follower of the Enemy Territory franchise for a long time from Splash Damage. And one of the big things that happened when Quake Wars came out was that nobody knew how to play it. Mm-hmm. And then they added a bunch of like audio cues on a lot of like arrows going, Go here, blow this up, drive this thing. And it still didn't get very far. Right. Um, and then Brink had other other problems and now in uh in dirty bomb the latest iteration which i'm crossing my fingers heavily for uh it's very explicit like go here do this mm. if you're a medic revive your friggin teammates like their intro video is awesomely hilarious because it, it's like the the tone is very aware of the problems that they've had before with just people ignoring how the game is supposed to be played right. uh and now they're including a Counter Strike mode because presumably they don't think people are getting it. Yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, it, it's definitely a tricky thing. You know, it's like I mean, we, we kind of talked in the the conveyance episode of this podcast how it's like. You know, if you try to, like, print stuff on the screen and, like, yell stuff at people, it's, like, they just kind of feel, like, condescended to, and, like, their yeah. their hands are being held, and, like, they just don't like that. So it's definitely a tricky thing to, like, kind of communicate, you know, various, you know, kind of teach people how to play the game uh, without, you know, <laughs> seeming like you're talking down your audience or anything like that. It's tough. It is.
1: Uh, But I think when it comes to shooters, the core thing is when I shoot the guy in the face with a shotgun, it should feel good. Yeah, that should be my reward. That's right. If I could do that, that should be awesome.
0: Alright, that was my conversation with j and definitely feel like it was a great one. Thought we touched on a lot of really interesting topics. There's a lot to get into. So much, in fact, that this is actually going to be part one of a three-part series on Arena Shooters. Going to be talking to a couple more people on the development side of Arena Shooters, and those should be up uh, next week and the week after. Definitely looking forward to that. So, real quick before we go, just wanted to mention that the music used in this episode is from Quake, Unreal Tournament, and Doom. Because when you think Arena Shooter, you think Quake, Unreal Tournament, and Doom. So, makes sense. Alright, well, we'll be back next week with Part 2 on our series on Arena Shooters. And I thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Bye.